What's up, party people? This is Tyler. And this is Danny. We're the Fried Squirms. We're here to get stoned, talk about horror movies. This is another weird one. We're not going to talk about a movie like we normally do. We're going to talk about just a shit ton of things that came out over the course of October. Before we get into that, we got to get to the getting stoned part first. Danny, what is this, Jay, that you handed me? Awesome. So this past weekend, I went by our friends over at Flower and picked up the Horchata strain, which is a hybrid strain. And with that being said, this is a strain created using the Jet Fuel Gelato in the, I guess it's Mochi Gelato strains mm. as well. So the effects on this are more calming than energizing. It says the consumers have smoked the strain say that the taste on this is earthy, floral, and woody. They do have uplifting and relaxing effects. And with that, the THC over at Flower is a little bit low, but we've talked about this in the past. It's not always about the numbers. So with that being said, it's about 17%. Terpenes top out at about 1.9% on this. And the ones that stand out the most are the limonene, pinene, and um, cariofinlene, which is not surprising. Today, it started to snow, started to get shitty out. I didn't go out and do a fucking thing. But thanks to earlier in the week, I still had some shatter lying around. So when we take our break, you'll have the option to take a dab of it's from flour. Okay. And I was like, yo, give me a gram of blank. I don't remember what I told them. And I have the packaging here, but the packaging doesn't have the name that I, uh, that I said, you know, it's like, you know, I asked for, you know, fruity delicious or fucking whatever. It doesn't tell me that. Gotcha. What it's telling me is what the lineage was. Uh-huh. So whatever strain I fucking told them, it says here it was bred from Rainbow Belts and Montana Silver Tip. Huh. Rainbow Belts and Montana Silver Tip. I don't know what it was that I actually asked for. Interesting. But that's what it was bred from. Obviously, we run into Silver Tip a lot on this show. I'm not going to go through all of that. Rainbow Belts is an indica strain crossed from Moonbow and Skittles. So you take Moonbow and Skittles together and then cross that with some Silver Tip. And it's going to be a slightly indica leaning hybrid overall That okay. because of all that with the the main sativa influence being the uh, super silver haze in the lineage, but I don't know. I've been hitting dabs of it here through the weekend. I've been digging it. Like I said, I can't say too much about it because I don't know what the actual strain is, but I can tell you what the genetics are. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I noticed that the other day I was like, shit, what was that? And I picked up the thing and I was like, well, I don't remember what I told them. It wasn't this. <laughs> But uh, like I said, that's been fun. Like I also said, we got a weird episode. This one's, I don't know how long it's going to be. I don't know how short it's going to be. I know, right? It's probably not going to be 10 minutes. It's probably not going to be two hours. (laughs) I don't think it'll be that long either. We got a lot of shit to talk about, though. And we ain't necessarily are going to be going through a guts and bolts of all this. We're going to take a small break. We'll come back and we'll talk about the October releases. Yeah. I don't know what to call it, but we'll get through it. I'll explain a little bit more as we get into that section. Fried squirms. All right. So here's the thing. What happened this October? 
usually there's at least one horror release in October, right? And I mean, for a good bit of our lives, it's been Saw. Yeah, for the most part. <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah, whatever. It, I never it, made it, it a priority to really go watch when it came out. I mean, other than the first one. Which I didn't intentionally make it a priority then. It was just like, no. oh, what's this fucking movie? But usually, like, I think a lot of people don't realize, like, not a lot of interesting horror movies get actually dropped around Halloween, usually. That's a good point. At least I don't feel like it. Not recently. It doesn't feel like. It feels like they're just kind of spread out throughout the year. You kind of keep your point. ear to the ground and be like, cool, Spiral's coming out in, what, like, March? Yeah, like, it's just... Yeah, they're they're scattered throughout the months. Midsummer is whenever it was we went and watched it. Yeah, like it was probably during the summer, but I you know May or some shit. I'm pretty sure I've over the years I've went and like been more excited and went and saw more comedies in October mm-hmm. and specifically on Halloween than most other movies, at least in the theater. That's a pretty or like point. new releases in the theater in the past. Now it's kind of more like new releases in general, since there's so many places that yeah. things get dropped. But that's true. So that being said, this year was not the case. Wow. This year, there was a number of things that all dropped basically within three weeks of each other that we were excited for. If any one of them would have dropped, we probably would have just been like, cool, let's, you know, watch it, record a reaction, throw it on the Patreon, whatever. But that wasn't the case. So instead, we were like, fuck it, let's get to the end of October. We'll just put down a few thoughts on everything. Maybe we'll revisit some of them. Maybe we won't. Who knows? But at least we get to talk about it a little bit with there being just so much new shit that we were able to bring in this month. So we did our best to watch a lot of the shit. There's two things I wanted to get to that I didn't, but it wasn't necessarily things that we talked about for sure doing. So I'm not too worried about it. No, that's cool. But I guess, like, what order did it go in? What did we start the month (laughs) off with? Is the first thing going to be Hellraiser? Or Werewolf by Night? I think it was Werewolf by Night was the first one that we encountered. All right, so first off, Werewolf by Night. Kind of out of nowhere for a podcast. That's true. Like, usually Marvel superheroes don't tie in. Usually Disney Plus doesn't tie in. Well, yeah, no, this is the exception so far. But, like, what was it? Like, two months ago or three months ago, they were like, oh, here's a trailer for Werewolf by Night. And I'm like, I know what that fucking... Like, I've been waiting for this, because I knew that they were doing Werewolf by Night this Halloween season. Trailer dropped... I watched it and was immediately like, holy shit, Danny needs to see this. Because this looks fucking wildly great. No, I I was impressed by the trailer when we did watch it. And it came around. I'm already a little bit more biased to like it and watch it in the first place. So first up on deck, what did you think of Werewolf by Night? I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a clever adaptation for a Disney Plus release. You know, and knowing too that it's... I don't know how loosely or, you know, how direct it is tied to the whole, was it Marvel Universe? Yep. So, I, you know, I'm not very familiar. So, anywho, just off my impressions of it, as far as technicality, it was technically shot well. The acting was well done. I mean, you got some really good actors and actresses throughout. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a cool way to introduce these characters and and kind of what's going on in, in that particular universe. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, it feels like it's a setup for something more, 
you know, that's the impression I got. But I really enjoyed it, man. Now I won't, I won't go too deep into the characters for a couple reasons. First off, this isn't the show. We got a bunch of other shit oh, to talk yeah. about. <laughs> Another reason being, on one of the other podcasts I do, New Island, we're kind of talking about more of the supernatural side of Marvel comics. So probably within the next few months, we're going to be talking about Werewolf by Night and probably Man Thing. That's awesome. A lot more in depth. We have talked about like Elsa Bloodstone, who's one of the characters that showed up. A little bit of Ulysses, her dad, who okay. kind of shows up as the, a mummy. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. <clears throat> Not the mummy. There's actually a mummy uh, Marvel character, Simon Garth. But, or no, he's the zombie. Sorry. I don't know if there is a mummy then. Okay. But the dude was looking kind of mummied slash a zombie anyway. Yeah. So anyway. So I'm not going to go too deep into that shit. But like, from what I can tell, it wasn't necessarily based on any particular story. But yeah, that was fucking Jack Russell. Oh, by the way, they don't say his last name. Yeah, they just... Jack, which is funny. They just call him Jack the entire time? Yeah. The funnier bit is that Werewolf by Night's name is Jack Russell. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> I will say it's kind of neat. I Just as a funny little aside, because it, the character has a long history. If I remember right, debuted early 70s, maybe wow. late 60s? Mid-70s, maybe? Wow. Shit. I have read actually a good bit of the original run of werewolf by night i ran into an omnibus edition on just an insane sale digitally a couple years awesome. back it was like two bucks per like the first like two omnibuses uh, so actually i haven't finished through what i bought but i did read a good bit of the first run and What's kind of funny about the character is they come out strong and it's like, ah, now he's a werewolf, but is he a bad guy? No, not really. Like he's still doing kind of good things, but it, they seem to realize very quickly that you can't really have a werewolf superhero just because that means he's only a superhero one night of the month. Yeah. And like, you can't make a comic about that. That gets really boring, really fucking quick, at least not back then. Not with the, the writing conventions and styles that were going going and what would sell and, like, what people thought comics were even capable of at that time period, because that would have been, like, pre-Bronze era and stuff. So I think there are people that could tell that story now and still make it interesting. Like, what does this guy do when he's not being a superhero? That can be an interesting story. It's also kind of lame. <laughs> Understandable. So... Werewolf by Night, if I remember right, they ended up changing it pretty fucking quickly. Like, I want to say within the first five issues to he has to change the night before, the night of, and the night after a full moon. And he's extra powerful then and a little bit less in control. But he can turn anytime he wants and just not be at, like, full power. Gotcha. But he's also in more mental control then at that point, too. Interesting, huh? Yeah, so they're throwing a little different um, dynamic into the werewolf lore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like so. I mean, if not, like you were saying, it's going to be kind of monotonous and boring. You know, like yeah, what does he do in his spare time? Yeah, which, like I said, there are ways to make that interesting. Right. But when the character debuted, there was no author writing stories about how that can be interesting. It was fucking people in tights beating each other up. Yeah, yeah, given. 
I mean, Werewolf by Night, like the werewolf is cool. Jack Russell, whatever. I was just excited to see how well Man Thing looked. Yeah, Man Thing looked dope. Yeah, it was really cool. I was like, this is interesting. Like I said, being introduced to certain characters I'm not familiar with, but also overhearing you guys talk about it a little bit, you and Zach, and you know sometimes Mac and stuff. So it was neat to see that, and it's got me interested a little bit more into like, you know, these characters' backgrounds and. A little bit of what this story is about. I mean, not that it's hard to follow, but you know, it definitely helps when you know a little bit more of the background. I want to make sure I get this right. So, Man Thing is actually a fucking wild character. We brought him up a little bit when Zach was on to talk about Swamp Thing, because they were basically created at the same time. Yeah, and a, they were thinking about suing each other. <laughs> not a coincidence. Eh? They were thinking about suing each other until somebody pointed out to their creators that both characters are basically ripoffs of an older character called the Heap. That's funny. at which point they were like, "Yeah, you know what? Let's just uh, let's not get legal involved yeah, in this. Never mind. <laughs> Everyone can sort of do their own thing." And that's what happened. Man Thing is a lot less human than Swamp Swamp Thing overall, but his stories get just as wild. If I remember right, he lives. Like, the swamp that he lives in is technically, like, the nexus to all realities. Huh. That's interesting. And so he's kind of like like a planes hopper in a way, or like the one that guards, like, people from just being able to go through this nexus. To Yeah. And he's able to sense human emotions, gets mad at fear, and so the tagline for the entire series is, whatever knows fear burns at Man-Thing's touch. And so over the years, they've changed it between supernatural and more biological and corrosive. But basically, if you're afraid and it touches you, you'll get burned. And it looks like that, so most likely you're going to be afraid. Yeah, I mean, shit, you'd be spooked, (laughs) for sure. But Man-Thing is kind of an interesting character just because they do tend to write him way less human than most it's hard to tell how much he's even taking in at times. It's like, oh. it's kind of just like the vegetable sitting in the corner and then you're <laughs> like, cool man thing. You, you want to come along and do this? And you'll just like get up and like come like, along with oh, you. Shit. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm dumbing it down a little bit. Like he's had runs and it's yeah. hard to make an entire run of a comic when your character is that passive. But I think you get what I'm getting at. Like, exactly. That's, you know. I don't know. I was, I was impressed. It was more, violent than i was expecting it to be it still wasn't super like right all out but given but it did a good job of of balancing that and Mm -hmm. giving you a little bit of the goods the black and white was cool yeah it was i enjoyed that congrats to the director michael giacchino that's basically his first major project to direct he has directed other shorts before but he's most famous for being a composer that's pretty neat michael giacchino's he did the score for like Coco and like wow. I think like most of the new Star Wars movies and a bunch of other shit. Like, well, I mean, this is is you know his debut, like full feature, if you will. Pretty damn good job. I think he's done the score for like all the latest Jurassic Parks. Like, wow, uh, that's a pretty impressive resume. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of other shit too. Like, that's just pulling off the top of my head. If I I know that's that he's one of those guys moment. that when you pull up his actual resume, you're like. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, So then after Werewolf by Night was Hellraiser, right? I believe you're right. Super looking forward to this. 
likewise, I mean, we're both fans, you know, so it was nice to, uh, to know that there's another entry, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, we were looking forward to this one. Like, I think even before it actually released, I know that the rumors have been flying even more lately, but the rumors that like, if it does well, then we're just going to get more. Whether Clive ever intended it right. or not, whenever it's been put into movie form, it's always been kind of intended to be a franchise. I would agree with that. I mean, otherwise we wouldn't have, what, 11 in the series right. franchise now, so yeah. As far as I'm concerned so far with these ones that have been premiering on Hulu, they're knocking it out of the fucking park. Yeah, Because if we back point. it up to Prey, Prey was dope, and I, I really dug this Hellraiser. Yeah, I enjoyed this one as well. It was nice to see them going back somewhat to, you know, what the originals kind of encompassed. There's, you know, like ambiguity of like what exactly is happening, you know, because these characters are finding themselves in a situation they have no understanding of, Mm -hmm. you know, at least the protagonist, I guess, in in our story. So I enjoyed that. And uh, of course, it's always fun to see what they're going to do with Cenobites, you know. Dude, these new Cenobites are pretty hardcore. Yeah, I enjoyed those too. In a way, it, they're kind of refreshing, you know. It's nice to see a throwback to like Pinhead and stuff, but you're also being introduced to some other Cenobites who are like, oh, okay, this is pretty gnarly. So it's got me curious about backstories and mm-hmm. things of that nature too. So The updated Pinhead design was cool. Yeah. I've found myself calling this in iteration the Hell Priest more often than Pinhead. Yeah, and I think that's probably more fit for this character. This is a weird one, man. I remember before, like the day beforehand, I saw just like a little blurb that somebody had wrote up and they're like, it's good, but it's, it's weirdly like tame. I don't know if I agree, but I don't disagree. Right. I feel like this version doesn't bring like the violence front and center and it doesn't like close up and like linger on the gore front and center like the the old school ones would no, when they were that. like showing off effects basically. Yeah, it was it was nice. But yeah, I agree with what you're saying. But I do feel like the things that happen in this movie they aren't centered, but they're arguably way more fucked up. Yeah, they do some fucked up shit, that's for sure. But you're right, they don't make it the focal point of when you are seeing that stuff. It feels more understated. You almost have to like think about what you're seeing and then you're like once you start thinking about it you're like oh yeah that's right the reason we're getting such good shots of what the Cenobites look like is because they are so fucking mutilated that you can show them naked because they're now missing genitals yeah that's pretty wild but it's a good touch which doesn't immediately come across you're just like okay whatever that's its design and then you start thinking about it you're like Oh, oh yeah, we're able to see that because they got super fucked up. The Weeper, yeah, insanely uh, fucked up. Weepers may be my favorite of the new ones. Yeah, I really enjoy that. Like, and that's why I was saying <clears throat> it's refreshing to see some new design and, you know, what can be. Because mm-hmm. it does look like it's slated for some sequels or at least a sequel. I'm super on board to see what happens. No, I'm all for it as well. It's like, as long as it's in, you know the right hands and it's taken care of, then, you know, it's, it's going to be at least halfway decent. So I'm okay with that. I kind of liked this twist. We brought it up on one of the other episodes. So there, there's a line directly in 
was it two where they say movements don't call us desire does. Right. And how, what I liked about this one is that it kind of threw that out the window. Yeah, no, I agree with that too. To make a little bit more menacing presence of the Cenobites. That was really cool, especially when they were getting more involved with the configuration, which I, mm -hmm. I thought that was a cool thing too, is there was like layers to the puzzle. Yes. You know. It was actually a puzzle box rather yeah. than the shit, world's shittiest Rubik's Cube. Essentially. And that to me was, you know, a nice touch to the design, not only of the, you know, the configuration box, but just the, the whole concept of, of it being a puzzle too. The, the more that you're doing, the more that it's doing something behind the scenes as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what makes it more menacing and, you know, I think in a sense, you know, more scary, if you will. Yeah. Well, yeah, because this was a group of Cenobites that was like, look, somebody fucked with the box. You don't necessarily have to pay, yeah. but somebody has to. Right, exactly. It's like, all right, that's the case, shit. <laughs> like, I don't care whether you wanted to or not. If you knew what you were doing or not, somebody fucked with the box. Right. So now somebody's rules. part of the game. Those are the rules, exactly. So that does make it more menacing and... Even if you're not aware, it's like, man, don't be fucking around with shit like that. Right. Don't do that. Yeah, especially if it's in a container and, you know, <laughs> you're supposed to be robbing this thing and this is what you find. So that to me is kind of like some red flags already. But once again, this is a film, so you have to take that. <laughs> Honestly, even just the box fucking you up was a neat touch. Man, yeah, dude, that was really cool. As soon as they... I think that was neat. Yeah, if it targets you, if you will, if you get cut by it, then I mean that's it for you. That's a wrap. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was really cool. It makes it yeah a threat, a threat, more of a threat, more of it. Yeah, not that the old Cenobites weren't a threat, right? But I mean, it's like it's marking you essentially, like for what's to come behind it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're fucked if you get cut. Essentially, what was after Hellraiser? Ooh, that's a good question. Um. I mean, we did the monsters in between. Well, actually, oh, but we already talked about them, right? Yeah. That's I'm just thinking of what was coming into session. Uh, Halloween ends was in somewhere in that mix. There we go. Yeah. I think that was the next big one. Halloween ends. Fine. Yeah, I didn't think it was a horrible film. I didn't really particularly like, care for it per se, but I, I read a, an interesting editorial. Actually, I have to give Bloody Disgusting some credit for this. And in response to you know. The criticisms, not that I like what direction they went with it, but it makes more sense of why this story is what it is. And it, they were talking about, you know, if you look at the originals in the series, uh, when you did part three, and we talked about it, of course, when we reviewed it. But for Carpenter, that was like a way of like, okay, we're just trying to get rid of this Michael Myers character. We try to end them in part two. And then we're just going to do an anthology from here on out. But because it's Halloween, people are expecting Michael Myers and you get the return. And this is where part three and the return kind of mesh in terms mm -hmm. of the story and what they're trying to do. So spoilers, if you will, in part four, I think it's his niece is the one that's supposed to be carrying on the evil. Because okay. she like, I, I can't remember who she stabs at the end, but she goes ham on somebody at the end of that film. And I think that's what this movie was trying to do was like trying to pass the evil on as more of like a supernatural entity i guess like an evil and whatever that you know however you want to quantify evil i suppose or 
right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, I can see why they would introduce that Corey character and then trying to do that, like have Michael pass on his evil because that kid was a perfect vessel for it. Mm -hmm. But I was like, uh, I don't know if that was the right time for this in this franchise, the way that it's been playing along. So I was like, uh, I get it, but not. Uh, I don't know if I like it. Like, my first thoughts coming away from it was like, I think this is probably a better movie than Kills. Yeah, well, I agree with that. But I would rather watch Kills. Once again, I would agree with that, too. <laughs> Just because it's like, ah, uh, I find Kill, it, not that it was like super entertaining, but it, it had some beats that I, I could jive with, where this one, it, felt like there was just lulls where mm -hmm. I was interested and then I got pulled out and I was interested and kind of kept hugging me like that. You know, I should have looked it up before we did this since I knew we were doing it. I ran into an article that like pointed out like there was maybe not one easy fix because of the way these things are written. Right. right. But a, in hindsight, easy fix that would have made everything better. And it was basically with this new trilogy, reverse the order. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that would have been cool. You start with Lori hasn't had to deal with this in years, and she's become a fucking homemaker. Yeah. And then shit happens, and you get her having to be hard and the town having to fight back again in the second. I would make but a then more it sense. coming down to a now hardened Lori versus the shape, kind of like it was in one. Yeah. At the end. And that, to me, yeah, I think that would have been a better resolve in terms of how this story was going. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think that would have made a lot more sense. But, you know, this is the vision of, was it, uh, David Gordon Green and, and Danny McBride and that mm -hmm. team. So uh, you got to give them credit for sticking it out and, and doing what they envisioned the story to be, you know, and that's okay. Because if nothing else, I, I can see that they were definitely fans of the originals and probably the franchise Absolutely. in general. So for them, this is like, you know, their love letter to mm -hmm. the franchise and that's okay it's like you don't necessarily have to like it or you know even if you do like I, I don't have any anything negative really to say it's like it wasn't necessarily my cup of tea but still not a bad film no it was you know it was there's fine. resolve there's some beats you know there's there's some pretty heavy stuff that goes on from time to time in this film you know but yeah I, I just for me it, it just kind of ah, eh, you know I don't know I, I like the way it started and it felt like it just just slowly the air was kind of letting out. I will say I, this didn't grade up against me too much while watching it. And even now that I've thought about it, I think if I were to rewatch it, it still wouldn't grade against me too much, but it's a thought that I can't get out of my head that although it's brought up a number of times, the community just seems way too cool about doing anything around Halloween after the size of the massacre that we saw happen at the end of kills. Oh shit. Right. That sucker was going off, dude. I feel like there, even though this is years later, there Shit. should have been more emotional fallout than that from that happening. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's traumatizing, dude. If you know people in a small knit community just getting wiped out like that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, man, fuck this shit. And like I said, it wasn't enough that I ran up against that while watching it. No, but, but now that I've thought about it, I also can't not think about it. Right, and that's... The thing, too, about, like, you know, movie making and how these stories kind of plot along, it's, yeah, there's going to be holes in them and things where we as fans would prefer it to go. Mm -hmm. But, ah, it's not meant to be.
after Halloween ends, is are we all the way already up to Cabinet of Curiosities? I mean, so each one of these, though, like I'm saying, are we already up to this? But we're up to an eight-part anthology series. Yeah, dude. Honestly, I think of all the releases that we've talked about, this one might have been the most, for me, like in terms of the anticipation, I was really looking forward to this. I was too. It's hard to quantify it against Hellraiser because with Hellraiser, I was excited because I knew that I was getting another Hellraiser. Yeah, 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 for sure. With Cabinet of Curiosities, I was excited because I didn't know what I was getting. That's kind of where I felt. I was like, yeah, we know it's a Del Toro production. We saw some of the directors on board and was like, okay, this. And some of the actors. and Yeah, exactly. So we were familiar because, you know, we've done this for a bit. And that was the thing. It's like, you know, with Del Toro you know you're going to get something good. But at least from in, in my opinion, I'll put mm-hmm. it that way. In my opinion, he usually delivers the goods. And yeah, like we just said, everybody on board, it's like, how can you not look forward to it? So before we get into any of the episodes, yeah, the yeah. biggest thing that this reawakened in me is like I forgot how much I love having shit like this or just movies in general kind of just introduced. Yeah, I know this is fun. I mean, I've seen it, and I'm sure you have too, where it's been compared to like how Rod Serling would, mm-hmm. you know, introduce episodes and whatnot. And, cool. and it is kind of a, yeah, it's kind of a Being compared to, to Rod Serling would love to be That's compared a, to Rod Serling. All of this reminded me of stuff like Tales from the Crypt, Tales from the Dark Side, Growing Up, you know, where you have a narrator, even the, the, the Hitchhiker way back in the mm-hmm. 80s, like shows that would give you a setup to what the episode's about. And that's what I liked about what Del Toro's were doing because he was using a cabinet of curiosities to like, all right, we're gonna pick this part of the cabinet out. Here's this, you know, the director, et cetera, et cetera. And then, yeah. Literally only like a minute long spiel. It yeah, always seemed like it was a lot longer, but like I paused it one time and I'm like, he only talked for like forty seconds right there. The yeah, fuck? and it's I like the way it's set up. It's clever, and I'm like, ah, this has got me interested in, in how this is gonna weave into the the story. I wish more things would get introduced like that in general. From what I understand is, I think they got shut down, but I think it's coming back. There was, uh, you know, one of the higher end theater chains down in LA, Arc Like Cinemas, and they would have like an usher at the beginning of every movie go up and like introduce the movie. That's really cool. Why not? Like the Roxy needs to start doing that fucking now. Mm -hmm. Like it's such a fucking classy move. It's it's actually really cool. Like, and you, you, once again, like I said, you don't have to come up with much. Guillermo on some of these was talking for forty five seconds. I will say this: the few times that I've gone to, I think they call it like trash cinema over the Roxy because we had Charlotte uh, McCorn on and Solvay. They host those like once every Friday um, per mm-hmm. month or whatever. But they do that. They'll they'll kind of briefly talk about the film. You know. However it's presented, who, you know, is helping them present it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and then you go into the film. So it, it does give it a little bit more of like, all right, this is this is fun. It gives me some more anticipation. So let's go through these then. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Lot 36 was the first one. I was excited to see that one just because the director is normally Guillermo's cinematographer. Mm, that's right. Well, that and Tim Blake Nelson is in it. Who's going to go wrong with? Always fucking kills. Yeah, nice, no, great character actor, does a good job in this. I mean, that's kind of almost a given at this point. Story, interesting. I thought it was interesting because it was like, oh, let's see what this is about. And you get him playing kind of this, 
I mean, right here it says uh, like a xenophobic right wing, uh, mm-hmm. you know, leaning guy who it looks like, you know, they they are doing stuff with storage units, you know, bidding on them, all that stuff, you know. And was he comes across one lot where this, um, I don't know if she's Mexican or whatnot, but yeah, yeah. She basically is like, you know, the family's got all their stuff in here and. They were unaware of, I guess, I guess, lapse in payment, whatever, right? Yeah, they there was like a lapse in like the very last payment, but it was because there was a screw up in the paperwork because she moved and so she never got the notice. Exactly. So you know, there's there's these like these technicalities, and of course, it's like, well, you know, um, sorry, but we already auctioned it off or you know bid mm-hmm. on it, whatever. It's it's been forfeited, seized, all this other shit. So you know, because of his bad fortunes if you will tim blake nelson's character he owes a lot of debt to some i guess he's been gambling or whatever the fuck he's been doing right so now he's he's rummaging through the lot to see what is all of value and he's making the phone calls and he's starting to come across some interesting things in that lot but what i liked about it too is that woman always seemed to be right nearby when Mm -hmm. that stuff was going on so to me it's like it felt (laughs) felt a little bit like watching um drag me to hell and stuff like that, you know, where it felt like there was, and I hate to say it like this, but like a gypsy magic or right, a curse right. or something of that nature was, it's like, you're, you're fucking around with shit you don't need to be fucking around with. And that's what I liked about it. So that's where I, I was like, all right, let's see where this goes. So here's the other thing I like, just beyond this story. Mm-hmm. So I read, I realized there's something else. None of these I disliked, no matter what I might say later on in this section about some of them. None of them I disliked. Yeah. They all gave me the horror hit that I wanted. And in some ways, I feel like short-form horror is superior. Oh, because I, you I can, really like it. You can get in there, get your twist, and get out. Right. And, and you nobody's know. expecting anything more. Dude, for something between 45 minutes to a little over an hour, I'm okay with that. Because like you said, it doesn't have a lot of time to be fucking around with the story. Sometimes you want that. I get that. I know. I'm okay with that as long as it's... Good but, writing, yeah. But horror especially, I think, can do very easily with shorter stories. Oh, man, there's so much to adapt to, so yeah, I'm all on board. But, I don't know, like, I, I like this, it gave me the hit that I wanted for, like, a short story. Yeah. You kind of see the way his comeuppance is going to come. You're like, oh, yeah, you're fucking around. From f- at least a few minutes off. Yeah, and then it introduces, like, this very cultish, demonic kind of, you know... You know, there's like this underbelly of mm-hmm. something going on because these people are collecting these these books, <laughs> you know. So uh, I like that, too. It's an introduction to some of the occult. And that was all really cool. I just, I don't know, something about this one. I was like, it was good. I liked right, it, but, it but I felt like, like Tim Blake Nelson's acting elevated above what oh, it actually is. No, I would agree. I think if... And this is no discredit to anybody else, but, you know, he does fit a certain bill. So, you know, he's going to bring the goods, no no pun intended. But I agree. I feel like he does elevate the story just by his presence because, you know, whatever you, he's going to do, it's it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I can't complain there. Yeah, the story, like I said, it was it was an interesting story. Not that it was like a killer story, but I think it was a good intro, you know, into the series. So, yeah, I was like, all right. Not a bad start. Let's see what what the rest have to offer. Uh, which brings next would be Graveyard Rats. Yeah, by uh, Vincenzo Natalie, gentleman uh, we're familiar with. Did Cube, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, didn't he do some episodes of Hannibal as well? Oh, I think you're right. Yeah, so, yeah, we were very familiar. Uh, Julian Richings is in this episode, which is kind of neat. I mean, he doesn't make like, mm, a huge mm-hmm. appearance, but he's in this. This is neat. Uh, David Hewlett, the main gentleman in it, I think he did a, a fucking pretty damn good job. Yes, I agree. This one I really dug. Yeah, like I thought I, it was clever, dark, felt... Um, like right out of, I don't know if it's like a Victorian age, you know. I think you're exactly right, considering what I'm about to show you. Just wandering around the internet, you know, scrolling through shit as I was watching things for the other podcast earlier. I ran into specifically a Victorian era oh, wow. coffin cage wow. to keep people from grave robbing it. That is Pretty dope. There you go. I was like, yeah, it has a certain aesthetic, whereas like I might be mixing up my time periods, but it, it felt Victorian. But I like the whole grave robbing. I've always enjoyed that kind of macabre aspect of like, you know, medicine before it was where we're at today, modernized, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah, this is how people were studying the body. Grave snatching and shit. Like, damn. All right. And this one has an interesting And then it gets twist. wild. Yeah, this... The twist in it is this guy is talking about the rats that keep stealing the, the corpses before he can get all the jewels and the goods. I wonder, now this is based on a short story by a guy named Henry Cutton. Right. I've never read it. Likewise. I didn't, I'm not even familiar with the story itself. I'm wondering if it is somehow his own way of doing a reference to Lovecraft's Rats mm. in the Walls. Considering you, Perhaps, they both yeah. end up underground in this temple that they didn't wow. know existed with an eldritch god dude that was freaking gnarly i like that a lot i was like holy shit this guy fucked around and found out right <laughs> yeah he did i don't know how to want to put this a lot different energy than the first one oh, without a doubt which yeah. was kind of surprising while going through this i was like because i felt like lot 36 was a great start but i thought it was also going to set the tone and then the That's tone so like, shifted oh yeah it, it does. It, it feels like it's having more fun, to be honest. I would say that. And something I've noticed about myself, too, is with certain aspects of horror, and I think this is just a you know a human condition, too, is the feeling of claustrophobia. Mm. Like, it, it ratches up the tension and the drama of the story, too, because this guy is being let down these, these tunnels that these rats are carving out, you know? So, yeah, he's, he's in a predicament where he's fucked, Mm-hmm. You know, so I can relate. No one likes being cramped up in a tight space and then right. you run into this, yeah, this rat god. Yeah, that was all wild. Still not my favorite, but... No, but it was still... I was like, this is not bad. I like how these stories feel like, okay, this is a, a pretty decent tone, and it ratchets it up. All right, let's... Yeah, let's... All right. Fact, honestly, I'd say maybe... Let me look through these again real quick. Ooh. I mean, there's only eight of them. I'm having a hard time deciding. I was going to try to put them in some sort of uh, order. Yeah. I feel like maybe my number one spot is a tie. But honestly, my number two spot might be a tie, too. Okay. And I think Graveyard Rats is going to be one of the ones tied at number two. Nice. Yeah, I would say it's definitely the upper half of the episodes that I like. I mean, given there's only eight, but I would put it in that upper half. But that leads us to the autopsy, yeah. which is probably one of the ones that I have tied for number one. Yeah, I really enjoy this one, too, because once again, I wasn't sure which direction they were going to go. Because, you know, it's like, all right, 
You've got F. Murray Abraham. He's brought in to, F. Murray Abraham. Yeah, he, he's brought into like this. It sounds like this case or this situation with this old sheriff or whatever. And he's describing the, the series of events that happen with what these miners. Mm-hmm. Which, to be like, honest okay. with, the first time through, at a certain point, I was like, all right, well, get to, like, aren't we, like, halfway through the episode already? Like, get to the fucking story, because, like, that's this is all how, set up. That's kind of how I felt, too. It's like, all right, there's half an hour's passed. All right, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, but then when you like, okay, this is what's going on, you actually find out what uh, F. Murray Abraham is a coroner. He, did, he performs autopsies and whatnot, and he is going to be doing an autopsy of several gentlemen who died in this blast because of this one gentleman who, somewhere along the story, his, he changed his name, and he had this device which mm-hmm. blew up these guys. So, you know, the, these strange series of events are happening, and he's going to autopsy to see what, I guess, the, what the autopsy reveals. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And then that's when the story starts to become interesting because, you know, he's recording everything. He's picking these guys out one by one. But also what I like, too, is kind of how um, it's all the guys connected in that blast. Yeah. And then there is a thread that you find out as the story continues. I kind of don't even want to give this one away. Yeah, that's kind of, it's like if you haven't seen any of these, yeah, I don't want to. That's the one that I I least want to give away because the ending gets wilder than I thought it was going to. Yeah, I really dug this one too. I was like, whoa, this went a whole different direction than I was really anticipating. The the way F. Murray's character figures out how to deal with it is ingenious. Like this, well, once again, this too is is based on a short story. I didn't realize mm -hmm. this by Michael Shea, so. I'm like, I wonder, yeah, how close are, are these adaptations, you know? Um, but regardless, this is a really cool story. So, like I said, I've never read it. I saw some people saying online that Graveyard Rats is extremely close. Oh, no shit. Um, okay. Down to the point where the grave they're robbing, the name is actually a nom de plume that the author used to write under. Ah, uh, that's really cool. So it's like uh, a little... Well, Easter egg, mm-hmm. a little meta stuff. That's cool. Yeah, no, I really, really dug the autopsy. The Outside. Yeah, this is the one directed by Anna Lily Amarpour, who did, uh, was it Girl Walks Home Alone one Tonight? Night. Yep. So this is kind of neat. This is based on a webcomic by Emily Carroll. Oh. Once again, didn't realize that, but yeah, The Outside, really cool. Kate Micucci, Martin Starr, I really enjoy him. So, and Dan Stevens. Yeah, it was really cool. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you got some really cool people on board. I really liked this one. Like, I guess if I have a tie for first and a tie for second, mm-hmm. then this is third. Okay. No, this one was really cool, too, because it's like, all right, the story is not hard to follow. And it's one of those two where people can relate to feeling, you know, inadequate around people, whether, you know, However you want to look at them, the pretty people, mm-hmm. you know, the tens and all that shit. Ooh, maybe it's not that high up. Not that that's at this point, that's actually five. But anyway, because yeah. I'm just, now I'm thinking about, God damn it. This is our I'm going to have to go through all these <laughs> all okay. again if I'm ever going to rate them. But so, yeah, I mean, Kate Micucci's character, she's working as a, uh, a bank teller and she's surrounded by women who are, in my opinion, are very vain and materialistic. Mm-hmm. Just like the gossip, you know, and so she feels inadequate because she doesn't belong. But in in reality, 
you know, she's doing these things that her husband, he loves those things about her. But anywho, she's invited to a Christmas party, secret Santa. She has to uh, be the secret Santa to the host. And the host at the party gives all the, the ladies there, what, what is it called? Aloe glow? Aloe glow. Yeah. Which is, you know, a lotion that you put on your, your person, your body. And unfortunately for Kimikuchi's character, when she does it, she's starting to break out, you know, and it's kind of freaked them out because on top of it, her gift <laughs> is like a, what, a stuffed taxidermy duck. Yeah. Yeah. So she's already, an amateur taxidermist. Right. And then that she has all these neat little hobbies that these women cannot relate to, you know. But when she goes back home, she's, which is neat because I like this when she's like flipping through the channel, she comes along that infomercial. Mm-hmm. and it's directly speaking to her but they're talking about the side effects being hallucinations and things like that so I'm like alright this is kind of cool it's already playing into that hand so let's see where this story goes and uh, without going you know of course too much without spoiling stuff it reminded me a little bit of the stuff and you mentioned it too just uh, as wives. wives things of that nature there was um, I don't there was some surrealism a little bit too in this I like the like the the hallucination and the fantastical part almost felt like watching a little bit of um, Requiem for a Dream. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 with the mom and that, uh, Ellen Burstyn. Her character and, you know, like how she's hallucinating and having these, uh, I don't know, like she's just, she's lost in the sauce. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But then again, there's a twist in this, which is like, oh, this is kind of neat too. I mean, not that it's like, mind blow or anything like that but it was like okay this is kind of a neat little twist it's not just you know her changing per se there's like another invasion of the body snatchers the other one i wanted to say oh, okay so, yeah, yeah it's like there's a little bit of that too at play and I, I like that it's definitely at play although it's also at play in a way where it's like is that real or is that her hallucinating no that's a good point that's a good point i mean i feel like a little bit of of what we talked about in annihilation like the yeah. changing if you will, of the person, is it really what yeah. you're seeing, you know, or, or, or is not? it just a change? Yeah, and that's okay. But like I said, it wasn't the, the the greatest of stories, but it was pretty decent, man. And I liked how it had. It was this another weird one that was resolve. like a, It was another one of these two that had like a weird bouncy, fun energy to yeah. it, where you're not really supposed to be vibing with that right <laughs> you know but it's like you kind of can't help it because you're once again lost in the sauce is probably the best way to put it mm-hmm. this is the one i was probably most excited to see how it turned out yeah. pikmin's model yeah once again this is where we were getting into the hp lovecraft stories yeah because there was basically a lovecraft night yeah which is i know once we found that out i was like hell yeah of course guillermo del toro is going to make sure there's a lovecraft night though how could he not yeah I dig the story Pikmin's model. It's kind of simple, and you see the end coming from like a mile away. Yeah, but still. This is a decent adaptation of it. No, I enjoyed it, man. It's like, even if you're not familiar with like Lovecraft in general, this is not a, like a hard story to follow. It's pretty pretty basic. I mean, in terms of like what's happening, mm-hmm. uh, you know, once you figure out what's happening, it's like, oh, shit. But the thing I really liked about it is the fact that we get Chris from Glover. Yes. And he does a damn good job in his role. I have to assume that that is a period-accurate Rhode Island accent. Oh, it wouldn't surprise me. Not one bit. 
Because, no, like, I've known Rhode Islanders, and they sound close to that, but they don't sound like that. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? You're probably right. This is more time-specific. And in my opinion, I feel like he was just doing his best to kind of play H.P. Lovecraft without playing H.P. Lovecraft. Like, really cool. still doing the things that are needed for this role, but otherwise sort of falling back into the guy that literally has on his tombstone, I am Providence. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, this is really this is really neat. I mean, the story, like I said, it's about um, my interpretation of it is you get these art students, and you have uh, what's his name, Will Thurber, mm-hmm. who, upon seeing Pickman, Richard Pickman, who's a new student, of course, they they're supposed to be drawing whatever model, you know, the human body, and he goes to wash his hands, and he sees the differences in how he how they're drawing. The model compared to Pikmin, who's drawing more like almost like human decay, the body yeah. having scabbed and all this shit. So, but also know, at like levels of detail wow. that none of the other students are precisely. Close it's to. it's not yeah, it's just horrific. It's like almost like a, a cadaver, like a, a human study of the kind mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, this is starting to make these guys at least Thurber question like what what's going on, and then it's interesting because Pikmin he's he's noticing that. But he's also telling this guy Thurber that he, he trusts his opinion on his works. But the thing I like about it, and like I said, I don't know how much you want to give away twists and whatnot, but there's okay, there's a one, dark secret this, that one, this guy has. I want to go into a little bit more okay. just because I do like the story to begin with. And I like, I like the changes overall that they made, mm-hmm. even if those are the parts of the story that, while watching it, also fell flatter than the rest no that's me. cool that's cool um because like you have to expand it in some way on pikmin's model is i don't know like eight pages mm. like honestly it's a it's a short story that if you were adapting it straight up 20 minutes well you know we talked about when a page of script is a minute on film so and with how much fucking words Lovecraft uses to just describe things. His is not a his pages aren't a minute of film. And yeah, I know what you're saying. So it's it's going to be a little yeah a little lengthy, but it's okay. Like if you did it straight up, like I said, it's 20 minutes. Yeah, that's okay. So I like how in this one they make him being so in tune with Pickman's art also start to fuck with his grasp on reality. No, I, I, I like that. And like I said, because I'm not super familiar with the, the actual story itself. So just what I'm watching is what's what I'm trying to interpret. So and in I, the... I thought it was pretty decent. In the story, there's no family to deal with. It's just like... And I, they're not even at school. They don't have this long history together. It's like this guy knows of Pikmin whose drawings and, you know... You know, this and paintings were so realistic yet so horrific that he gets tossed out of like the local art society and it makes him curious about it to go check him out and stuff. And he he goes and hangs out at Pickman's place. And it's kind of that middle section where he just goes over and like sees his shit and like you you start hearing the weird things behind the door. And then the twist in the story is when he realizes that the reason Pikmin is able to get them so realistic looking is because he's using models from life where he's taken photographs of because all these things actually exist. And then shit goes 
you know, kind of wild reanimator-ish at the end yeah, with, like, yeah, ghouls yeah. showing up and stuff. And it's left unclear. Like, the author manages to get out of there, which is how he's able to write about what happened. Um, yeah, which is... It's, it's almost like a, a little bit of a... I don't know, like a... A thing that he does, like Lovecraft, he, he manages to pull a, a character out of a situation. Yeah, almost all of his stories are being told as someone telling you the story because yeah, it happened to them. Yeah, which I, I think that's a really cool anecdote, if you will, like having these characters relive or retell that tale. Which like, isn't uh, the case with this. Yeah. With this no, version. it's not. It's not. This is you're just seeing it alongside them. Which is Precisely. fine. No, no, I mean, if you're going to do an adaptation, that's probably the better way to do it. But, like, he's able to get out of there, and, like, he doesn't know if shit's ever going to be found because it was in a bad part of town, and, like, thanks to the scuffle on the way out, I think, like, a fire gets started or something, and it burns down. And so who knows if these, you know, the holes are ever going to be found or if people are going to dig deep enough to yeah. run into the ghoul tunnels and stuff. But now he's, like, the author's, like, afraid to go out at night and shit, and you do technically find out there was a story published posthumously okay. that Lovecraft wrote that I don't think is technically finished. It, it's probably not his final draft. It's as finished as it's going to be because right. it's kind of weird because it's one of his dreamscape stories anyway, but it's the dreamscape of unknown Kadath or dream quest of unknown Kadath. And the protagonist in that one, Randolph Carter in one of his the dream journeys in that runs into a group of helpful ghouls the same ghouls that you run into in Pikmin's model okay. and they're helpful because they're being led by Pikmin and it reveals that he was actually a ghoul all along uh, that was pretending to be human that's really interesting i gotcha okay i like that cuz they're supposed that. to be a little bit closer to human looking gotcha in which in the Lovecraft. Yeah. I, that's something, too, I think we've we've kind of talked about or touched upon a little bit, too, is how <laughs> because of Lovecraft's upbringing and stuff, he liked to introduce characters that were kind of like subhuman. Yes. So that would make sense. See, when I say Pikmin was in the bad part of town. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. And, <laughs> and in terms of Lovecraft terms, yes. And that's why it's like it, it makes, not that it's right, but it makes more sense and how these characters came about and how he's viewing them or why they why they are the way they are. But yeah, but basically the tacked on bit is all the stuff with the family, which at times for me fell flat, but I liked how they did it yeah. and how they were able to expand the story using it. Right. And, I think and that make was it so it wasn't just the one twist that you see coming from a mile away of that the ghouls are real. Yeah, and that's... That alone <laughs> is like, okay, that's fucked up because it, it's buying into like the, the Lovecraft mythos. You know, and I like that. But yeah, the twist is like, oh, shit, that's fucked. I do wish that if they weren't going to make them look more human to make uh, Dream Quest and Unknown Kadath work better, mm -hmm. that they would have given them more of the Innsmouth look. Oh, yeah, that would have been neat. That would have been neat. I, I agree with that. Like, I started crossing my fingers partway through when I noticed that they were actually, like, using the Elder Sign oh. for the brand and stuff. Yeah. I was like, ooh, are they going to, like, go deep cuts? And You never know, but... No, I think, yeah, they, they laid off of that. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't a bad story, man. I, I thought it was a pretty decent start for one out of two. Yeah. You know? Two out of two. Dreams in the Witch House. I mean, as far as, like, the being the yeah. first out of the second one, or out of the two. But, yeah, and then we get the Dreams in the Witch House, yeah. 
which we've actually we've done before. Here's Masters the thing. of Horror. I think I prefer the Masters of Horror version. Yeah, I think I do too. After watching this one, and this one is not bad, but I don't know if this was like totally fit for the series. And what I mean by that, it's it felt. All right, I will say this. I'll, I'll give it some credit. It did feel like a Del Toro. It felt like story. a Del Toro production. Yes, right, because of the family connection and loss, and you know that kind of stuff. I was like, yeah, I mean, I totally get it. Totally get it. it makes sense. Didn't feel like much of a Lovecraft adaptation. No. No, it didn't. It, it felt like somebody wanted to write a ancestral witch story. Yes, that, and it did feel very fairy tale-ish, like a fairy tale more so than a, a Lovecraft story. Which, you I, know, it's okay. It's it's not a bad story. It's not a, I mean, in terms of how they did this, yeah, they they took some liberties, of course, with the story and, and made it their own, but... At a certain point, it's like, then why use... This is one where I kind of ran up against... This is the closest that I have to disliking one. Once right. again, I don't dislike any of these. No, this I'm, is I'm the, the closest same, one, I'm though, for me. With you, but yeah, this is like, ah. ah. It's like, if you're going to take this many liberties, why did you adapt this story? I agree with that, too. I'm like, uh, yeah, just don't even introduce... I mean, you could have done a whole witch lore story without using Lovecraft. You're right. is isn't... Could have used any of the grim fairy tales for that matter. I mean, even down to the, like, what is the point of reversing Brown Jenkins' name? Yeah, I don't know. Just so that he sounds like he was can pass as a human once he gets the body at the end? <laughs> I guess. Like, it's weird little details like that where I'm like, well, what's even the fucking point of that change? Just so that you can continue saying you're different? Like, Yeah, that was... I don't know. It was it was kind of a. I think everybody time. in it does a great job. That was like, like technically speaking, like it was well shot, well acted. It's hard to knock all that stuff, right? But in terms of the story itself, it's like ah, uh, ah, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's like I said, it did feel something that Del Toro would have done with like uh, the Devil's Backbone and that kind of stuff. You know, that kind of ghost story where it's not a spooky ghost; it's just. A lost soul, in a sense, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know this. This one almost felt like something that could have been, like, "Are you afraid of the dark?" <laughs> right. Be honest. Yeah, uh, but for adults. <laughs> but it was all right. It was all right. Then came the last night. Yeah, the last night. We've got arguably the big hitters, if you want to call them that, with Panos Cosmatos and Jennifer Kent. Start off with a viewing. This is the other one that's tied for number one for me. Yeah, this one was fucking wild, man. I really like that. Knowing, too, that we've already talked about Mandy. I have watched uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Big fan of Panos. And knowing that Peter Weller, Eric Andre, Shalene Yi. I mean, of course, there's others. But pretty solid cast. Interesting story. And the aesthetic felt right at home with Panos. Mm -hmm. You know, you can tell... He likes his 70s and 80s movie making and synth scores and stuff. I'd say this is the only one of them that I wish we had a feature length version of. Yeah. I I felt like that. Yeah, There's that more that can be cool. done that I wouldn't mind. Yeah. Okay. You know, it, it doesn't make me like it less that it's not no, that long. But, you know, I, I do feel like, yeah, this one could have been a full length if they wanted to go that route. I mean, once ship starts popping off. Ooh. After you have learned so much about the characters, 
you could expand that whole bit so that it's more personal to them. Mm-hmm. And that's easy another 10 minutes right there. Without a doubt. Not to mention the fact that you could go into them even a little bit more. You don't even have to do a lot, but like, like see what they're like before they show up and not just them giving exposition dumps, very well-written exposition dumps, but that's the entirety right, of their conversations exactly. in the first just 20 exactly minutes in the movie. Well. You get to know the characters very well, and it's really neat. Like I said, it's very well-written, but you're getting to know them all legit through just people saying things rather than getting to see right. anything. Like things leading up to those moments. As of, yeah, exactly. So if you give like give this... 20 more minutes in the beginning, bouncing between all of them, where you get to see them yeah, just, outside of this. Right, and then going into that parking lot or whatever, the, the par- parking garage, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to even have to expand the ending. No, you don't. I'm it's thinking more just like when shit starts popping off, once you've learned this much about them, make it all a little bit more personal. I'm cool with that. But fuck, this one blew me away. Yeah, like I said, I really did enjoy this one. And knowing, once again, that this is a Panos joint, you know it's going to get trippy. You know it's kind of going to get otherworldly. And seeing, for me at least, seeing Eric Andre in a more serious role, too, is kind of cool. You know, yeah, of course. He did a great job. Yes, he's going to be a little silly, but yeah, it's pretty good, man. Um, Everybody did a fantastic job. Peter Weller was giving hardcore uh, Carradine and Kill Bill vibes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah I mean you know considering where I guess where he's at in his age and stuff like that he's a perfect fit for these kind of roles yeah. kind of like a cult leader and yeah he blew it every, what, everybody killed I was saying this are you kidding good, me like, man. like I really enjoyed the just the aesthetics of it alone was like damn this is really cool yeah it was my favorite to actually watch visually out of all of these yeah so technically it's supreme and I feel like it uses its looks to its advantage, too. It looks a lot more expensive than what I bet it was. Yeah. Because you really only have to build two sets for this and the way this plays yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, what, two rooms, essentially? You just have to make sure those rooms look the fancy in the way they did. Right, and that's okay. And I'm sure they have a studio for all that shit, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, it's it's kind of ideal in that sense. Oh, fuck, the lighting, everything. And Good. that's the thing, too. I would, I would imagine, like, you know, of course, this is being episodic... You have to kind of confine your sets and what you do. So, yeah, it makes sense to write more expo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Charlene Yee. Yeah, she did a fantastic job. Steve G. And like I said, everybody, they did a really good job for the characters they were playing. They were believable. And it made me interested in like, all right, what's what's happening? Because they're doing a bunch of fucking drugs and they're supposed to put their trust in this, this guy who you don't really know a lot about. But... Peter Weller's character trusts her enough. Mm-hmm. So you're like, all right, let's see what's happening with this ride. I thought once they started taking the drugs, it was going to get just a touch trippier. Mm-hmm. Go a little bit more Mandy and a little bit more trying to make us feel like we're doing the drugs too. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not mad it didn't, journey. but I kind of thought it was going to go that way. Likewise. Likewise. I mean, it, it, they could have. Mm-hmm. But I, it makes me wonder if that was more fitting. It probably is for like a full length. I'm sure that would right. have been a part of the experience. I agree. I agree. You don't have to expand the ending. No. Like, even if he were to eventually go and make that into a full length, but then I would hope he would want to do a sequel, because I'm curious oh. about how that plays out. 
I, honestly, I don't even know if I want a movie sequel. I just want somebody to tell me what the fuck happens once that creature gets out in the world. Yeah, that's pretty wild, man. Because you're like, like I don't, need, I don't necessarily need to see it. I just want somebody to be like, so this is kind of what we thought. Like, yeah. if this gets out, this is what's going to happen. That's all I want. Yeah, like, exactly. Just expand upon. But that's that's cool. Like this, yeah, I'd say this is at the top, one of the the tops mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, so this was the Jennifer Kent. This is actually based, I didn't know this either, based on a short story by Del Toro, mm-hmm. which, once again, kind of, it makes a lot of sense. Well, he, was, he had writing credit on two of these, didn't he? This one and, oh, and Lot 36. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. That's really cool. Which, I mean, thinking about it, it's like, yeah, it does make sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so the murmuring... Berbering's fine. Yeah, I, wasn't, David, this I one, wanted again, to like it a lot more than I did. Man. Likewise, but it, once again, knowing that this is Del Toro, I was like, yeah, this does feel like a Del Toro story once again with mm-hmm. loss and a mother grieving. So yeah, I mean, Jennifer Kent's perfect for it. S.C. Davis is perfect cast for it. Even, uh, was it Andrew Lincoln? Uh, did a pretty fucking good job. I think we talked about I almost him. didn't recognize it as being Andrew Lincoln at first. Yeah, I was like, we've talked about him. For a second, I was like, did Patrick Wilson get skinnier? <laughs> no, right. No, he did a fantastic job. It wasn't like, um, once again, it wasn't like mind-blowing performances, but they were believable mm-hmm. in the characters they were portraying. And I think it's neat how they were tying uh, the murmurations with the birds into the story as well with the loss and knowing that murmurations can be attributed to, like, ghosts and whispers and things of that nature. So... Um, but yeah, like I, I did want to like it more than I did, but I understand what they were going at, the story itself, and it's like ah, uh, once again, it's like ah, uh, it ultimately, it ultimately kind of became the kind of ghost story I don't really give a shit about. That's mm, kind of where I'm at too. But I, you know, I get it, man. It's like mainly because I, you know, I I can't relate to losing a child a because mm-hmm. I don't have children, but it's not one that you can't comprehend. You know, anybody can relate to loss and things of that nature. It's just that, yeah, I'm not, uh, we talked about this. I'm not huge on ghost stories, dude. Not unless it has you know, some clever writing and things of that nature, but not saying that this, this doesn't. It's just, it's, it's kind just of a traditional kinda, ghost story. Yeah. And it's, and it's not a it's story clever, that It's clever, but it's before. not, that's the thing. It's clever, but it's not novel. Like right. we've seen stories done just as well or maybe better where the ghosts were just misunderstood in their earlier appearances. And once you put all the pieces together, now you know how to get rid of the ghosts. And guess what? You've also grown emotionally within yourself. Now you can grieve and, and fully, you know, go through that. And like, it's cool. And the actors do a good job of portraying the emotions. And look, that's why I can't knock it. The viewing might have been my favorite to watch because of the way the visuals were handled. Mm-hmm. I would say, arguably, though, the murmuring is the best shot of all of them. Man, yeah, no. Jennifer Kent, dude, like, she's killing it. Everything, as far as I've seen so far, everything that I've seen from her is like, man, she does a good job. And she handles it well, too. It's like, this is, of course, a delicate story in terms of, you know, how this woman's trying to cope with grieving over the loss that we're not fully aware of you know there's a but you can kind of guess at a certain right it's not like it's a a huge Mm -hmm. mystery but you know you you see how they're playing off each other she and and andrew lincoln in terms of um their relationship how they're both trying to deal with laws and on top of their work they're working together as ornithologists so 
it's neat how they do that together. They do a great job. And like I said, it's it's hard to to knock it technically and all that shit. It's just yeah, it's not really my cup of tea, man. I could have done without, but it's okay. It's okay. And I mean, I already saw it said like I think it's probably technically the one that shot best. Yeah, but so it literally to the point where like this one looks like a movie when you're watching it. I wouldn't necessarily say the others look like movies when you're no, watching. No, they definitely them. felt more episodic. Like, yeah, almost like made for TV, but you know what I mean? It's like, no, you know this is an episode of something. Yes. There's just a difference. Right. In terms of, I don't know if quality's it's... Quality is a weird way to say it, but right, it is because, kind of quality. Right. I don't know if it's because of, of... But not quality like good or bad, but like... Yeah. I don't know if it's the framing. I don't know if it's like, this could be come down to film, maybe. Right. I don't I, know. I really, I don't know enough for the technical side but of that I'm saying to know. Like, but you, you, there is an aesthetic that you can tell is different. Mm-hmm. from a film and, a, and an episode of whatever in this case an anthology so yeah I agree with that as well did you end up getting to watch Barbarian I didn't I didn't okay. I started in on it man but because I was kind of like not really tuned in the way I should have I didn't get to finish but I did sneak that's... in a different film oh okay well I was really quick I want to say yeah, no, you're that wasn't necessarily a new release for this month but it did release on HBO Max right exactly it dropped was it a new release? Did they release it simultaneously? Uh, do I have that wrong? I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong because I, I want to say when we went to see Clerks 3, it was at the theater. Oh, that's right. So, yeah. No, I think it was just HBO Max dropped it, 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 you know, in the middle of what we were watching already. That's one of the ones I meant to watch, but it leads me into something else that I'm curious if you've caught wind of yet. Mm, okay. Due to its release on HBO Max and a lot of more people watching it and the fact that it's... It's getting good reviews. Mm-hmm. From what I've gathered, I feel like me and you are both going to still come away from it feeling like it's slightly generic, but maybe on the higher end of generic. Okay. You know what I, I mean? I've kind of... I haven't read a lot of reviews. Generic's a weird way to say it. No, Casual? I know what you're saying. Yeah. Casual's maybe a better way to put it? I've kind of seen those things. Actually, Alex, he texted me about it, and he was like, yeah, it's pretty gnarly. I watched it the other night, whatever. So it's like, okay, I mean donkey likes and i'm sure it's going to be a little bit of fun right but a conversation it has spurred because he's in it is yeah. we now have oh, started yeah, to yeah, have yeah. a large section really of the dope. internet crowning justin long as our scream king i mean that's pretty dope considering i'm here for it i love justin long like yeah everything that i've seen of him once again i'm a fan like i think he's a solid fucking actor dude and the horror bits that he's been in have been pretty fucking gnarly. Yeah. And he's, at this point, he truly has been in quite a few. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about at least one of them. I mean, yeah. Tusk, I mean, the hell. <laughs> and Tusk is weirdly one of the exceptions. He, I mean, to what I'm about to bring up in the fact that <laughs> directors like going Fulci on him. Mm. Those eyes are not safe. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, Dreepers Creepers. Shit, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it because, A, Bill Skarsgård is in this one as well. I didn't know that prior, but it's like, I think I remember seeing the trailer briefly, but wasn't really paying attention to it. Or maybe I'd seen, like, a, an article or whatever, tying his name to it. But, um, yeah, I started in on it. Like, I got maybe 15, 20 minutes into it, but didn't finish it. What did you watch? What was the other one? Oh, I got to watch Terrifier Part 2. Oh, shit, that's right. Yeah, and I don't want to spoil anything, but I will say this. I really enjoyed it. 
I feel like this one ratchets up some of the the gore and, and some of the more gnarly bits. And you get a pretty decent final girl in this film. And that's mm. not a spoiler, but I think she did a pretty damn decent job. And considering it was like shot on a $250,000 budget, and it's already made like eight, nine million dollars. I think like they that. just announced today that it hit ten. That's fucking crazy, dude. And Screenbox, which is a bloody disgusting streaming service now. I think they're in collaboration. Maybe they even own it, but I think it's on there now. Oh, okay. And uh, I think it's getting like a, a release sometime next month, a physical copy release. Mm-hmm. But I went ahead and already put my pre-order in for that. So I might have to do the same thing. Yeah, it's pretty dope. So uh, I really enjoyed it. If you're a fan of the first one and All Hallows Eve and the short and all that stuff, you'll definitely be a fan of this. What I find wild with this is it's like once again to use the term and not in a derogatory way but like casuals are starting to talk about terrifier it's that to me is kind of wild because it's i don't feel like it's a casual film it's just that's that's where the word though it's getting such fucking because of the buzz it's getting Mm -hmm. yeah and it's like uh, that's kind of cool because you're bringing in some people now that it's it's starting to ramp up the level of horror that they're getting into Mm -hmm. because it's yeah it's a slasher but it's it's more than that too. You're starting to get into like some gory stuff. That's pretty fucking gnarly. I mean, if it's half as gory as the first one, uh, then it's beyond what most people seek out. Maybe not have seen. <laughs> We've talked about that in the past. Oh, like yeah. I think people can handle a lot worse horror than they think they can. Yeah, I, I I agree with that too. It's mainly because. We've talked about this. It's like your mind goes to the worst places possible when you start thinking about shit. And it's usually not the case. Mm-hmm. You know? But if it's even half as bad as the first one, then it is still far crazier than what people normally seek Dude, out. Dude, fuck yeah. But that's kind of cool because that's kind of what these kind of projects can lead to. Mm-hmm. It's drawn in the casuals, if you will, or just people who aren't used to this level of horror. <laughs> it's like, all right. 10 is huge for that movie, though. 10 is weird that. because that's that's a tiny number when you talk about most of these releases. That's, that's like, sometimes that's just the low end of budgets for some of these major films. But when you're talking Terrifier 2, Dude, 10 is that's gigantic. Massive. That's massive. And that's good on, on Damien Leone and his whole, you know, his whole company, his, his team... Man, they did a damn fantastic job. And I wonder how much, too, it was just by word of mouth and the marketing mm-hmm. and things like that. Well, I know that there was one early report of, like, people puking and leaving that a lot of, like, the clickbait sites seem to run with. And they seem to have blown it out of proportion where, like, a majority of the audience is doing that. Yeah. And so that's, that's where some of the buzz is coming from, but that's not a bad buzz to have if no, you're a horror movie. But I feel like at a certain it's point, it's cheap. That's just like knowing that we're horror fans, right? But if you're not necessarily into horror, it's to me it, it kind of feels like the fucking cat jump scare. It's like when I hear yeah. somebody's like, "Oh, they're people were fainting and throwing up." I was like, "But were they really?" <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, "It's cool press. It's good press because it's going to draw people in." But did, it, did they really need barf bags? That's what I'm getting at. It's like, did they really, though? No, probably not. Which Mika was the barf bags? Was that Audition or was that Ichi? Uh, I think, uh, I want to say I it might have been Ichi. Ichi. Yeah, I think it might have been Ichi. Because I think, I think Audition had, the, one of them had the blood bags. 
Well, the the blood bag was the Ichi, oh, no, it was Ichi. That's uh, right. DVD, but right. there was the premiere where they oh, yep. handed out yep. the barf bags. I'm almost certain that was Ichi. I think I'm it was Ichi certain. too. But yeah, regardless, it's like it, it's a cool way of of drawing people in because of of that. Like, ooh, what the fuck, someone. Making people puke and faint. What the hell? I gotta check this out. Chris Jericho's in it. <laughs> yeah, he's not in it very long, but he he's definitely. I found that out on the radio it. the other day. I'm a Jericho fan. I'll go ahead and tell you that right now. Yeah, so it was cool seeing him in it. But like I said, it's not like he's a main character or anything. No. That's not a spoiler, but just you know, I don't want you going and thinking he's <laughs> gonna be in the film like that. Fuck, I gotta see it before too long. But oh yeah, I mean. Hell, if nothing else, it'll be out before you know it. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah. Well, I, if I nothing it. else, we have plans for it. Oh, the, yeah, dude. That's going to be fun. If nothing else, we have plans for <sighs> it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So I'm, I'm glad I got to check it out. That was like the one, I was like, all right, let me see if I can find it. And I found it. And I'm like, all right, here we go. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. The other one that I wanted to watch that's not like full on horror, but is definitely horror and spooky adjacent that I haven't gotten a chance to yet is the, uh, the new stop motion on Netflix, Wendell and wild. Oh, I don't, yeah, I haven't seen anything. Yet. Yeah. So it's, I think Wendell and wild, the two main, the, the named characters are like, I think they're demons that like mm-hmm. this kid summons. Okay. And I don't know much beyond that other oh. than it's Wendell and wild are key and peel. Oh, actually, I think I have seen like. And the stop clips. motion okay. is the guy that directed Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, shoot. Since, once again, if you didn't realize, Tim Burton did right. not direct right. Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, I think. Well, it's because, you know, it's. Because it's, it's Tim Burton Presents or whatever. Like, exactly. It's same shit. Like, it, that's when Argento feels like, no, 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 he produced it. <laughs> if I remember like right, that. like, Tim Burton, what was it? It was like he designed the characters and then it was like based off of a poem he written he wrote, yeah. so he got, like, partial writing credit or That's, something. Yeah, you, I understand that. But it was directed by... Hen- is it Henry or Harry? That's what I always forget. Oof. If it's Henry Selleck or Harry Selleck. I think it's Henry. I can't remember, yeah. Because I haven't seen that in a while either. I don't know. I, I really want to watch it, but now that, like... The season's passed. I don't know when I'm actually going to get to it. Yeah, I got other shit to watch too, guys. Like, dude, there's yeah, there's so much stuff, and you like every dude, once in a while you need to make a good things. excuse to do it. That's what we tend to do with this show for a lot of things, but like, I can't do that all the time. <laughs> Completely understandable, but there's a lot of stuff that's coming out still. But yeah, October this past year um, was nuts. Just, full. Yeah, it was. It's like wow, you know, as of course a horror fan and what we do. It makes it more enjoyable because in this case, it gave us something different to do. Like you said, at a perfect time because we were going to have a weird block of episodes anyway. Yeah. And I've I've been liking this. Like we've been, uh, we've been doing this for a little bit now. It's, you know, we we find ways to theme things and sometimes things fall in our lap at opportune times. And having this many releases kind of drop all within sometimes days and weeks, you know from each other it just made it easier to be like hey let's just right because like, all as much as we can of all this stuff without trying to focus on one of them like we can talk a little bit about all of them yeah because wasn't it something like werewolf by night and hellraiser within like a day of each other I think you're right and then the next week was halloween ends was like, and then oh, we had shit. like a week break but then eight episodes of cabinet like, it was like all right i know i got my work cut out and i think that's when i did sneak in terrifier uh, yeah two, in that in week. that little break yeah 
Just because it's like, all right, I know it's kind of weak where I can chill a little bit. I, I can't remember what I fit in that break, but I fit something in that break that wasn't horror. It was for me. It was mostly video games, but but yeah, I, I did sneak that one in. But uh, yeah, it, it was fun, man. And then our Halloween was fun as well. Like, Halloween I really was that. dope. That was, a way to, that was a really good way to cap October. I agree. Yeah, I mean. I'm not sure exactly when this is going to drop. We're going to be like most of the way through November, probably by yeah, the time still, you hear this and we're talking about October, but like, that's what happens with some of these release schedules. Yeah, it was, I can't complain. It was a good month. We have to do things when we can sometimes. <laughs> we're busy bees. Doing things when we can. Our next Patreon only episode isn't going to be Patreon only. No, it's not. It's going to be fun. We're bringing in a guest. As we promised you guys in the past, whenever we bring on a guest on what would normally be our look back episodes, we're just going to wide release it. It makes it easier for everybody. Yeah. We want to make sure people who know and love our guest can easily hear it. So Steven's coming back. Hell yeah, dude. I'm looking forward to that. I know he's looking forward to it as well. And that motherfucker is going to oh, get to watch man. Dead Alive for the first time. I'm excited for him. And the only thing I don't like about it is that we're not getting to show him a 4K version. Ah, uh, no, man. Damn, come on, Peter. You hobbit-loving motherfucker. Come on, PJ. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we, we know How it's How long coming. have we been waiting on that now? Five, six years now, something like that. Probably four or five years. I'm going to... Something I wish like he wasn't doing the first four at one time now. Uh, like, we were excited about that in the past because it meant that we were going to get a it dope sounds like, box yeah, set. I definitely bit off more than he could chew at that time. But now I'm wishing it just would have been one at a time. Yo, oh, yeah. Starting point. with Dead Alive. You guys can get to meet the oh. Feebles later. <laughs> Man, I know. Fuck, dude. But you guys can I get mean, to Heavenly Creatures later. Heavenly Creatures might already be on 4K because it was actually just a critically acclaimed movie. Like... I know, right? But, I mean, I get it, but still, come on, man. <laughs> Don't leave us hanging, dude. I'm most curious about when that finally releases, oh. what the cut-in scenes are going to look like. Yeah, that's a good point, too. From the extended release, or the director's cut, or whatever it was. I just know, whenever we get it, man, it's like, have my check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For real, <laughs> whatever. It comes like honestly, in. I should probably just start putting money away right now because I know idea. it's going to them, and it's probably going to be like I said, it's supposed to be the first four flicks, you right? Like it's going to be a hundred dollar box at minimum. Oh, I mean, I'm not even worried about that. Like even if it's a buck fifty, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, regardless, it's going to be fucking worth. Past it. that, it's going to hurt, but I'm probably still going to buy it. Yeah, I know. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's maybe one of those I'm going to have to. Look at it for the long term. Yeah. <laughs> but that's like, okay. Ooh, I can justify it. I guess it. I can do this. Yeah, no, there's far worse vices out there than movie collecting day. <laughs> but I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying, though. But regardless, uh, I'm looking forward to Steven getting to see this and hearing his thoughts on it. We think we figured out how we're going to do it? Yeah, I think it's a fun way of doing it as well. I think it's probably a, cl a more clever way of doing it. But we'll talk about that more when we get to it. We don't really know what's coming after that, though. Yeah, but fuck no, it, no, whatever. No. We'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll figure it out then. You guys don't need to know now. What you need to know is Dead Alive is coming up. Oh, dude, that's so much fun. And that for this time, I've been Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. out. Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, we highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, 
questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top, as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network, uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, The easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. You can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ads. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace. <laughs>